0: Welcome to Twin Peaks. Greetings pod people, and welcome to a very special episode of Strangers to the Multiplex. On the release of the Mark Frost's highly anticipated novel, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, and a new season of the show, debuting in 2017, we tread precariously into the Black Lodge and back 25 years to explore the highlights and pitfalls of the climax of the original TV series. Now the owls, they do well warn of spoilers. While our main focus is the second season finale, we are going to be naming names, speculating wildly and very likely removing clues hidden beneath the fingers of the entire Twin Peaks series. If you have yet to see any of Twin Peaks and intend to remedy that, and by God you should, what I might suggest is you pause this podcast, go and watch it and come back to join us. I promise you, much like Agent Cooper in the Black Lodge, we won't be going anywhere. I'm joined this evening by a man who's no stranger to being wrapped in plastic. <laughs> very true. Fussy bitch. Oh. How's Annie? <laughs> How's Annie?
1: <laughs> okay, so she's not great,
0: she's not in the next season. <laughs> very true, we'll come to that later. Yes, we will. We will indeed. Okay, so while we're looking at the final episode in isolation, it doesn't exist in the vacuum. It's possible you're familiar with the question, who killed Laura Palmer, which catapulted David Lynch and Mark Frost's twin peaks into the public conscious and shared fascination when the television show debuted in 1990. The answer, rather less straightforward, her father, Leyland Palmer, himself at the mercy of an evil spirit named Bob, for a considerable portion of the audience, ended the same fascination. Although the show limped on, some would argue aimlessly for a further 15 episodes, ABC brought the series to a close. Now, Rob, Twin Peaks was born at a time before the spoiler culture existed. Were we to have watched the show um, along with everybody else on Terrestrial TV, um, we'd have been pretty safe from spoilers, even though it showed at a different time in America. I don't think anybody would have spoiled it for us. No. Our joint history with the show is a little more complicated. Uh, we both discovered the show on DVD in the late and early noughties. Yeah. When the uh, DVD box set binge was at its infancy? Very much so, yeah. Do you recall um, this being spoiled for your talk? Do you, do you recall anybody giving you any like, major spoilers of Twin Peaks before you'd
1: actually seen all of that? There wasn't a huge amount of people I knew at the time who actually watched it. A lot of, I mean, Most people were aware of it. Um, but for people of our generation, it was, I mean, we would have been, what, 10 when this aired? Yeah. There and much. thereabouts. So <clears throat> a lot of people that we would have you know, gone to college and university with probably wouldn't have, you know, certainly didn't watch it at the time. I don't think they made a head and tail out of it. Having said that, I do believe once I got a hold of season one and watched it through, um, I did hear more about what happened in season two via Lynch on Lynch or various um, magazine articles that I read about the time, basically anything I can get my hands on in an pr- almost pre-Internet age to do with the show, I did and read and I've probably spoiled it for myself that way.
0: Yeah, I seem to remember reading like essays on it once mm. I'd seen the first season. Maybe like it kind of trickled out. Oh, God damn it. it, was Laura Palmer's father alone.
1: <laughs> I seem to remember hearing that who the killer was before I watched the episode. That yeah. was a definite.
0: I'm sure I did as well. I'm not sure anybody warned me about the very end of it though. I don't. Mm. I don't seem to remember. I don't seem to remember anybody saying to me, "Oh, by the way, you should wait to get to the end because <laughs> Dale turns good. evil." And my God, that's amazing. No, that's a very good point. I
1: think. Um Certainly, season two was less talked about, for for, for good reason. For good (laughs) reasons, fifteen very good reasons. Reasons.
0: (laughs) I guess as well, like from I've just said, if the obsession with this show kind of died for a lot of people with who killed Laura Palmer, once that's been answered, I don't think anybody, well, a a smaller majority and a smaller percentage of people were actually captivated by what happened afterwards, and therefore the the number
1: of people able to spell that you and it's decreased yes, yes I think um, once you've you've solved the riddle and you've given everybody what they want which they were forced to do then you really need to set up something arguably even stronger which is impossible or at least something half decent <laughs> to, to carry on the show forward you need to set up more intrigue much like Cooper getting shot and who did that um, but Wendell, Wendell, my my pain has two
0: names. Yes. Earl.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. So the first uh, Twin Peaks was a rating juggernaut. Thirty-four point six million people tuned into the first episode. The stylized tale of the homecoming queen, full of secrets, and the town that barely knew her, was like nothing that had ever been seen on TV previously. As one might expect from the mind of Lynch, it did not conform to the standard whodunit formula instead deterring via the dirty little secrets and behavioural quirks of small-town America. The murder that brought the series its attention quietly slipped into the background, much, of the distaste of the vo- much to the distaste of the vocal majority of viewers, and an often perplexed network. At ABC's insistence, the creators yielded and revealed the killer in the seventh episode of the second series. Some commentators felt it was somewhat under even implausible to involve such an explicit supernatural trappings in a long-term solution, their patience already tested by the season and a bit wait for answers. Those who stuck with the show in the aftermath of the reveal weathered a muddled collection of subplots where the show grasped the direction, itself hindered by scheduling woes, wavering support from the network and being preempted in favour of coverage of the First Gulf War. With both Lynch and Frost distracted from the show with their own movie projects, while their joint venture languished in mid-season uncertainty, the show was running on creative empty, and the prospects of a third season seemed unlikely. Lynch himself even appeared on the David Letterman show in February 1991 to ask fans to write to the network and show it to their support, but to no avail. Have you actually seen the David Letterman
1: appearance? Yes, I have.
0: <laughs> Is it just me or did you get the impression
1: Lynch didn't really care
0: carry way? He didn't seem deeply invested.
1: No, I think um, he did his best to try and reinvigorate the show but I think ultimately he's not someone who really delves too deep into a project. Uh, I think he's quite happy to to have let it go really. I think it became bigger than he ever thought it would and almost unwieldy and such. Sure, and
0: I think as well when he's talking to David Letterman, and he starts to mention um, upcoming projects, which he obviously yes. has more enthusiasm for. Yes. I thought that was very telling. <laughs>
1: that was very telling. And it's interesting, I think he only ever tried to get one. Oh, there was a TV show that he got started on Mark Frost shortly after this, which. Shortcuts? Something. Something like, like that. that. Yeah. A shortcut. But uh, post that, there was only really the TV show that would delve into more Holland Drive. Yes. So one could argue it's. I don't know, I suppose he's, he's not really had as much enthusiasm for TV as he did for Twin Peaks.
0: I think he's very much a man of the moment, isn't he? Yes. My project <laughs> speaks to him. A true front. artist. He is. He, he goes where the news goes. Yes. I think, God help me, Network, that's counting on him for more than that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think most other people would have been involved in each season of the show, on, you know, I think with the, he, he was involved in most of season one, which is only seven episodes, once he got to 20 plus episodes, I think he took more of a backseat. Absolutely, yeah. Watched the show's dismay. Dismay. <laughs> okay. So,
0: on June the 10th, 1991, ABC aired the final two episodes of the second series back to back, season two episodes 21 and 22 respectively. Mm. Some years later, when they reappeared on German TV, the episodes were divided again and titled. Translated, the final installment earns the name Beyond Life and Death, whereas the previous episode becomes the characterist- characteristically sensibly German titled The Night of the Decision. <laughs> Although many fans have chosen to die it like Miss Twin Peaks. Mm. Beyond Life and Death was written by Frost. Who incidentally is also credited for the screenplays for both uh, Fantastic Four movies Paul Baston <laughs> and series regular Harley Payton, who has a story credit for the movie Friends with Benefits, and also wrote the screenplay for 2001's Bandits, which I understand you yes, enjoyed. It was, I don't yeah, not, I don't mind that <laughs> They were also joined by Robert Engors, who was the co writer of Firewall With Me. Yes. In a last-ditch effort to reverse the show's alien reputation and plummeting viewing figures, David Lynch himself returned to Twin Peaks for one last cup of coffee. It's the first, Lynch, it's the first episode that Lynch had directed since episode seven of season two, which is in which they revealed the killer Laura Palmer, and his fingerprints are all over it. An uncredited writer, Lynch picked and chose, picked and chose what interested him from the pages, cutting dialogue and reintroducing characters since departed or quietly forgotten by the show, more of which later. Yes. Now, I would be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge 1992's Fire Walk with me. Uh, personally, I've very little time for it. I struggle, and I, I want to
1: like it so much, and I can't.
0: Um, I don't mind admitting to you, I don't really understand it. I can follow <laughs> it to a certain point. I like the part of the beginning in the trailer park. And then David Bowie turns up, and it all gets a little bit odd and confusing. Isn't that always the way? (laughs) Um, Any standout moments from mean for you anything that sticks
1: out? Uh, I remember lots of lingering, awkward shots of one-eyed jacks. (laughs) A lot of scenes that are... Is that what you call it now? Yeah. A lot of of grim scenes that go on far too long that... Yeah. (laughs) See, to me,
0: Lynch is obviously interested. I just don't think anybody else is at that
1: point. No, I think when the series, um, season two ended, um, when, they, you know, when he announced he was making the film, it's brilliant, we're going to get answers to what happened, and Lynch was like, no, I want to tell a story about what happened before Laura died, and everyone was like, we don't care. I think the, the mystery is pretty much out of the bag at that point, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know what that added to it. I've heard people say it's a sequel, prequel, and it takes a lot of boxes, but it really doesn't. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's a film I want to like. I know, I've recently heard that there's a, a, a longer version that came out. That, I was, I was going to say um, to you, when they released the, um, the whole series on
0: Blu-ray, they also included a number of deleted scenes, which you can actually watch on YouTube.
1: Yes, um, I know there's one version where all the deleted scenes are badly edited in by a, by a fan, but there was, a, I think, a 2000 Blu-ray release, around about that time, no, 2009, I think around about that time where it's more professionally done and it's an actual edit and the films just over two hours rather than 90 minutes. So that's the version to watch. Whether I've seen that version or not, I couldn't tell you right now, but uh, I'd like to say I have, but I'm still not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um,
0: I think we just need to, to mention for the purposes of tonight's podcast, we are considering the last episode of season two the final word on Twin Peaks at the moment. For the moment, yes. Until obviously the novel the novel was released. Um, so yeah, we, we acknowledged Viable with Me is there. I'm sure it has its own artistic merits. <laughs> there must be some fans out there. There must be for some fans out there. And if anybody can explain it to me in great detail, you're more than welcome <laughs> Please to try. Messages. Yes. <laughs> so, on June the tenth, nineteen ninety-one. ABC aired the final two episodes of the series back-to-back, season two, episodes 21 and 22. Some years later, when they reappeared on German TV, the episodes were divided again and titled. Translated, the final instalment earns the name Beyond Life and Death, while episode 21 becomes the characteristically sensible German sounding The Night of the Decision, or as fans have chosen to dub it, Miss Twin Peaks. Beyond Life and Death was written by Frost, who is incidentally credited with the screenplays for both Fantastic Four movies, and serious regulars Harley Payton, who has himself a story credit for the movie Friends of Benefits and is credited with the screenplay for 2001's Bandits, and Robert Engels, who was Lynch's co writer on Firewalk with Me. In a last-ditch effort to reverse the show's alien reputation and plummeting viewing figures, David Lynch himself returned to Twin Peaks for one last cup of coffee. It's the first episode that Lynch had directed since episode 7 of season 2, which is the same episode in which Laura Palmer's killer is revealed, and his fingerprints are all over the finale. An uncredited writer, Lynch picked and chose what interested him on the script page, cutting dialogue and sometimes reintroducing characters since departed or quietly forgotten by the show. Okay, so what we're going to do now, uh, we're going to run through the episode and try as best as possible to discuss it scene by scene. <laughs> Alright, not the most inspiring of openings for Op. Um, it opens with Andy and Lucy sharing a kiss, um, and it's almost its almost Shakespearean. They're referring to offstage events of the previous episode, how Wendell Merles crashed the uh, Miss Twin Peaks beauty pageant, yeah. and they talk about the considerable danger they both have been in. Thoughts of this as an
1: It's a very strange one, considering um, how much the episode David Lynch did actually change from the original shooting script. That you didn't give it a better beginning. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, why do we need the scene with these characters? I mean, they're, they're never a bad you know, on-screen presence, but do we need to, to start the episode in this way?
0: I have several theories. Okay. The first of which I think, at this point, Lynch is blatantly spoofing soap opera. Yes. To the degree where he's trying to get it as kind of outrageous and as melodramatic and over the top as possible, and therefore to have it to have like two star to have two deeply involved lovers discussing what's going to happen if they have to have a baby in a lift or have to have a baby in front of the whole world. True. I think it kind of amps it up a bit.
1: Yeah. But um, yeah, I have even every time I watch, I think it's a very strange opening. It is a very strange <laughs> opening. You've got so
0: many cool things going on towards the end of this episode. I don't know why you couldn't have found a stronger hook.
1: No, I mean even just starting it in the um, in the room with Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman discussing the entrance to the Black Lodge and bringing in one of I mean that's a strong opening to the ep- to the show. Absolutely, yes. Ultimately, even right. just
0: pee with Pete bursting in, which he does in the second. I think that would have been a stronger opening. Even yes, Pete bursting in. Door, you know?
1: Well, I think it shows, particularly with his disdain for certain characters in this, in this episode, that maybe it is just Lynch's love of those two characters that he does begin to start the show with them.
0: One more theory I do have, which I agree mm. with you, Lynch mm. has got an obvious love for the characters, but I'm one, I think he also sets out for himself to create as many cliffhangers as possible. He needs to leave as many of these True. characters on an edge. Yeah. So, were they to come back for a season three, it's got some ready made. We've got something to work with. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering maybe if, if he just leaves Andy and Andy and Lucy saying, This is what's going to. Are we going to have the baby if we are? Mm.
1: We're going to be great parents. Actually, maybe that's why he, um, he brings Ronette Pulaski yes. back into uh, the show, because she wasn't in the original shooting script. She wasn't. No, there's a list
0: of characters that weren't. Would you like to hear them? That's us fire away. Okay, um, Ronette Pulaski. Yeah. The name of the lady who plays the Log Lady always escapes me.
1: I've always referred to as Log Lady. Okay, well <laughs> <laughs> the Log Lady, as she yeah.
0: probably no more be known, is always a lynch favourite regardless of what he films. Yes. She starts off in a razor head and she carries through the majority of his projects, doesn't yes. she? Yes. Um, so he added her in, which I like that, it's a nice mm-hmm. sense of symmetry. Ronette Pulaski, as you said, she makes an appearance. And she again, she hasn't been seen since the
1: beginning of season two. No. So yeah, very run its roll back, but uh, again she could have been used quite well for which we'll talk later into going into season three. She could do indeed. Yes, yes.
0: Um, Maddie Ferguson, who's who the doppelganger of Laura yes. Palmer. Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. <laughs> it was killed in episode seven.
0: She went, again making an appearance.
1: Yeah. Um, and he, last. He... Sorry, God. I was going to say, he did get all of the Cheryl Lee he could try and <laughs> get into this episode. Uh, someone,
0: somebody said and I'm sure it's been said many times before David Lynch is interested in Laura Palmer yes. and his fascination between things kind of ends with Laura Palmer
1: as well. Hence Fire Walk would they? Hence Firewalk, would <laughs> I mean hence getting
0: Manny Ferguson who's an important part of the um, Laura, the sort of Laura Palmer sorry, I can't my words out Laura Palmer double Yes, you know? yes.
1: Have you... Well, sorry. And again, uh, coming into one of the original plans, if you believe the internet for season three, was to have her come back in a red wig.
0: And I was going to mention that to you yes. later. So yeah, that we'll, up we'll come to that, but yes. Um, Lynch also made sure that all members of the Palmer family came back.
1: Yes, um, her mother, whose name escapes me. Sarah Palmer. Sarah Palmer. Again, she hadn't been in the, the show for quite a while either. She'd kind of forgotten... And uh, again he's bringing her back, so again obviously a character he likes and let's bring her into the show and maybe set something else up. I
0: think we're again with
1: Sarah, Sarah Palmer, she's like the
0: supernatural link. Sarah Palmer has got like mm. um I wanna say sort of like telepathic abilities. It's not so much telepathic, she's like clear points.
1: Well I think she sees yeah, she sees things. So I I've she- never even quite got that. I don't think that was ever really tapped into that much or that well.
0: No, and again, I, th- I think they toyed with bit and firewall with me. But I think I've I've lost interest in it while I Yeah, it's it's enough to mention that they're all in this script tonight. You know, to be a bit in particular, Sarah Palmer, I think might we'll actually find a very good use for later on in the, in the script. Yeah, but we'll continue. We'll continue. So anyway, um, Andy and Lucy have a duologue, and then we see Dale Cooper standing behind, standing in front of the map he's drawn. Yes. Which is, a, which is a nice thing in itself.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, this is pure Twin Peaks, this is <laughs> the Sheriff's <laughs> Office and telling you what's going to happen next. But it's
0: a callback to his <clears> um, <throat> Tibetan-style mysticism, isn't it? Yes. You know, um, I think in it's series, episode 4 and series 1 where he throws the stone the top. It might be early in that, depends, well it depends what
1: you class the pilots, but yeah, I think it would yeah. be episode 4 with the pilots. But yeah, probably one of the best episodes of the first season. So it's very much a callback to sort of like the quirks
0: that made us love things in the first place, best so. Yes, I mean it's pure pure character
1: for the for the people that we love so much in the show.
0: There's an excellent scene. Uh, there's an excellent moment where Pete I can't remember Pete Martell, Thank yeah. you. Comes <laughs> running in, which is reminiscent of his in, of his entry in the pilot. Yes. He finds it wrapped in plastic. and He comes running back. and He comes into the house. Yeah. Which is Where she's dead. <laughs> wrapped in plastic. But he, he comes in claiming that the Log Lady has stolen his car, which we all know to be a lie. Yes. In, in the previous episode. It's actually Winder Merle in a very dark place.
1: dismissively.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry Robert, I can't hide my contempt yeah, it's Winder <laughs> Okay, so he says it's Winder Merle, and Cooper unexplainably knows that it's not the Log Lady. The Log Lady will be here soon, Yes, yeah. which again goes back to the mysticism. There's a lot of mention of uh, the notion of Glastonbury, King Arthur and Camelot. Yeah. Was
1: King Arthur buried at Glastonbury? Is that actually a thing? I'm very <laughs> not too sure. <laughs> Having been to Glastonbury, I'm still not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but they seem to like that idea, so we'll run
0: with it. We'll go with this. yeah. Um, so, yes. The- they, they talk about Glastonbury, um, they talk about the sycamore tree, trees as well. Yes. Which become an important plot device a bit later. Yes, very much so. Okay. Um, the log lady turns up, she provides them with some oil her husband brought back from the woods one night. Yeah.
1: Is it charred motor oil or burnt That's oil? what it smells like. Yeah.
0: Um, they, they're soon able to ascertain that uh, um, Redneck is not like before. Yeah, it's recognised. Which it's is quite cool, I thought. Yeah, again, it's
1: a good way, it works well to bring that character in and it actually serves a genuine purpose. It does, it's a nice plot detail, it you is. might throw thrown away. Yes. So, almost, I,
0: I said to you earlier that Lynch is trying to make as many uh, cliffhangers as possible, but at the same time, he seems to be tying up some loose sense.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, throughout all the kind of Sub scenes and sub, you know, in the episode, none of them seemingly end that well. I can't help but wonder if that's by design. Yes, <laughs> that's Lynch. So we do get conclusions, but no one winds up particularly happy. I'm, <laughs> um, um, I'm torn on this.
0: There's a uh, 2014 article I was reading an interview with Mark Frost, and his assertion. Is at the time they were very desperately wanting to get to the City of Peaks brought back for a third season when they shot this episode. I'm not 100% sure Lynch was on the same page with us. <laughs> well, I've heard lots of theories
1: before that basically Lynch set, you know, in theory, set fire to everything and destroyed the show. And, you know, this final episode was very much out there as his way of killing it off for good so no one can carry it on. I don't think so. Now um, having having read the original shooting script, what he did is a vast improvement. <laughs>
0: okay, so um, love lady, like I said, love lady turns up, gives them the oil, and they, they ascertain that that's their entrance to the black lodge. Yes. Okay. Good. The next the next scene, um, we we reintroduced the Windermere, who has Ragdoll Annie Blackburn mm-hmm. as prisoner. Yeah. They arrive at Glastonbury Grove.
1: And again, in the shooting script, that scene is a lot more horrific. I think he tries to force himself on her and threats to cut her up and does all some nasty things. So it's interesting that, again, that scene's very kind of rushed over, almost. It's very pantomime, isn't it? Yes. At one point, he takes the torch and puts it below
0: his face, so yes. he got
1: there. <laughs> and again, I think that's just, we need that scene. We need to get Annie to the entrance towards the Black Lodge, but let's do it as quick. Because every scene in the shooting script of Winter Mill has him delivering long monologues. I, I always
0: get the impression he's just <laughs> like a pantomime
1: villain. Uh, it just doesn't work, <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what they were going for. Even as a pantomime villain, it doesn't work. I'd rather have seen him as just half of a hobby horse. <laughs>
0: which he which <actually> did <laughs> a he? Yeah, exactly. Answer. I think that
1: would have been more apt. What
0: do you, obviously we're not particular fans of Windermere, but what do you make of him based on this episode alone? Is there any uh, redeeming features to the performance? Is there any kind of redeeming qualities to the character?
1: No, I think the key thing with this episode is that, um, and again, in the original script, Windermere has a much bigger part, going all through the Black Lodge, teasing Cooper, leading him on, giving, you know, giving him clues, coming up dressed and various things. It's very interesting that in Lynch's version, he almost does away with it. He pretty much kills him off as soon as he gets to the Black Lodge, because Lynch knows the real villain of the piece is not Windermere, it's Bob. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> Which again, something that was horribly forgotten post-Episode 7. Yes. You know, we don't need this physical pantomime horse villain. We needed. So we had this great villain that could have carried on. Bob didn't die. He didn't disappear. You know, he was still there in the, you know in the modern conscious. They should have carried on with him and made it fun, You know, that's the way to carry on the show. Uh, well, at one point, Earl um, whips to Annie Blackburn,
0: a very young Heather Graham. Yes, very, very big hair. Stark, Stark. <laughs> watched it back, <laughs> there,
1: As every other show, show she's in. Um, no, quite startlingly so. We yes, watched it back. I was like. Good lord. Bless
0: her. At one point, she becomes like transfixed as well when they get out of the car and they walk towards the uh, ring of sycamore
1: trees and pushes
0: her in and She becomes like frozen. Yes. Which I thought was a nice choice. I'm not sure if that was her choice
1: or whether that was like Lynch saying. (laughs) I'd say Lynch. I I guarantee Lynch directed anything regarding going into the Black Lodge. Herself, not a bad actress, ever
0: grown, but I'm, this, this is, this is early days, isn't it? Yeah, she chooses some very,
1: very interesting projects. I think it was around about this time, she did Drugstore Cowboy, yeah. Yeah. which, um, yeah, for an actress who, bless her, is quite limited, um, she chooses some extremely interesting projects. So fair play to, she to her. She's pushing herself fans. to expand. I think she's just a fan. I think she's just a fan of these types of shows. I mean, show, I mean, it, like, she was originally cast because. I think um, Cooper was dating Laura Flynn Boyle at the time. That's right, yeah. And, um, Carmen Carmen Glocken, yeah. yes. And she didn't want him and Audrey having a thing. Yeah. And um, so, and he didn't want, the writers didn't want Carmen Glockinn and Laura Flynn Boyle mm-hmm. to have a thing on screen because he felt she was too young. Yes. So brought in Heather Graham, who was actually younger. Yeah, I know, <laughs>
0: crazy. <laughs> <A> <laughs> wonderful world of television. And I think, I think. Um... Cheryl Fenn's one of the first people to point that out as well, evergrained younger
1: than she is. Sounds like a very bitchy set. It does indeed. And
0: apparently it's got a lot worse. Uh, Did you see see Cheryl Fenn on Twitter the other day? No. Saying that women haven't been allowed, the women of Twin Peaks haven't been allowed to come out and campaign for the show and and, uh, cheerlead it. Okay. And it's, it's a policy that runs from the top of the show down, apparently. Has
1: anybody there really?
0: Don't know. I've seen Carmel McLaughlin in a few bits and pieces. It's but yeah. you don't don't take my word for it. Go read the go read the tweets yourself. I will not want to be misleading anybody, but I got the impression she was quite bitter that they, they hadn't put more behind her to help to help promote the show. Yeah. But then again it's those it's days. Mis- it's yeah, it's, it's a long time to go and it's mystique. <laughs> it's mystique.
1: Yes. So while we're talking about showing the film, what do you make of showing the film? Um I hope I know the the idea with her was they were going to do a spin off TV show that was in the works. Yes. I think her ending in the episode, again, is not a happy one, is very random. We'll get to that in a second because I think that's terrible. Um, She's brilliant in the show. I mean, absolutely funny. She's one of the instant, made her an instant star, and rightly so. But her ending is very, again, very soap opera. I really like the character of Audrey.
0: Horne? Audrey Horne. Audrey Horne. I read the Audrey Horne. I don't think this is Audrey Horne in the script. I don't. I don't. I don't think it lives up to the character they introduced us to. Oh, Audrey even, Horne even in season Even growth from changing character. Yeah. I don't
1: think that's the same. No, Audrey Horne in season one was was perfect. The ultimate femme fatale. Um, but in season two, school. <clears> still at school. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, with season two, they tried to make her more serious and it just didn't work I mean the whole thing of her at One Eyed Jackson season one that which is a bit uncomfortable very uncomfortable yeah. but brilliant uh, at the same time brilliantly well written and perfect for the character who's naive enough naive, naive but wants to be grown up wants, yeah wants to be grown up and ultimately when they made her grown up in the second season they just
0: um, I just noticed as well that at one point going back to that scene, Windermere says to um, Annie Blackburn, "You and I have an appointment at the end of the world." I quite like that. That was sort of like very <laughs> melodramatic, but very, but very up there. That the stakes were, you know. Yes. Yeah. I suppose
1: like, that is quite a fitting statement given where they're going.
0: And I also really love the visual of the red curtains between the two trees. Yeah. You know, when the black when they when they go into the black lodge, and oh, you see the curtains. So well done. So simple. And again, like, the
1: the script, it was meant to be like this portal that opens up and, you know, <coughs> It's boom. the hole in the ground in the original script. It's the whole yeah. And between twin the trees. They jump in and, yeah, it's just, that it sounds very kind of late 80s action movie. Well, I often so think um,
0: Twin Peaks benefit, Twin Peaks in general, benefits, and it's also hindered by sort of like mid-90s music video effects. Yes. So that's, that's what was vogue at the
1: time. <laughs> anyway. No, I think the, um, I mean the whole set again wasn't in the shooting script and I think what they created is incredible. Am I
0: right thinking in the script they tried to double the Great Northern Hotels, mm-hmm. the Blunt lots? Yes, yeah, so it was yeah, it was
1: a twisted version of a hotel and Carol McGlacken's wandering through as a child and window with the receptionist and he's guiding through to the rooms and yeah, it doesn't sound as good as what was actually on the screen, <laughs> and again he's delivering, I think Cal McGlock is looking for his dad and windermills, delivering long monologues that are not very interesting, I know most things are elocution dependent, no. no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright, let's, um, let's change gear for a second, because mm. our next scene takes us to the home of um, Ed and Nadine. It is Nadine, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah, so. You'll forgive me. I do love it <laughs> for being but It's been a while since I've seen... I've tried. To, I've been very, very conscious of just watching the last episode, so yeah. I don't sort of mention things other episodes too much. That's good. But no, uh, we're transported to the home of Ed and Nadine, and Nadine and high school boyfriend, Mike. Mike, yeah. Are sat on the couch, and they've got their heads in bandages, because <laughs> as a result of Windermel's actions in the previous episode... They've both been concussed with soundbacks. Yeah. To me, Nadine have been given fucking superpowers was stupid in the first place. Yeah. But I do think in this scene, Lynch kind of tries to make a mens one.
1: Yeah, they kind of bring you back down rather than give them happy endings, which I mean, they, it instantly takes all the happiness away from every person in this room. Yes. Uh, ultimately, you know, everyone's happy and going, you know, about to go off into the sunset and in one fell swoop it just ruins everything and puts it back to where they've gone, which is great because it creates tension for season three. Yes, but it's very much reset on that, on that character, isn't it? Yes, which I think they need. I think they went a bit far. As much as I was reading for Hank and Norman to get together. Um, Ed. Ed. Sorry, Ed Hank, and Norman. Hector. Hank's husband. Yeah. yeah, Ed and Norman to get together, I think, where do you take the characters when they're
0: very true, and if anything, Twin Peaks is kind of built on, on happiness, right? Yes, the entire show. <laughs> there's, no. a, there's a wonderful part of this scene where the, doc, the doctor's talking to uh, Nadine and Mike, and Ed's walking around in the background. He's got this strut on, like he's like a hustler and like a 70s lounge or something. And like you said, by the end of the scene, that's completely dropped. Yeah, all of them's gone. Mike has a <clears> very <throat> interesting piece of dialogue where after. Um, Nadine regains her memory and she's, she runs out and Ed's obviously stood there destroyed because his new life as he knows it, is over, it's now over, because Nadine's back. and Mike says to him, I'm sorry Ed I think I let things get a little out of hand <laughs> now I'm willing to bet you I'm willing to bet, that's not in really the original script, that line's come from himself. So yeah, I'm it's lynch. Fletch, it is a good line and it's very true <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for screwing up
1: your life here Ed, here's the reset button you know yeah, because I think in the, the very, very in the pilot, I think don't they jump Ed? <laughs> so it's quite the turnaround, It's quite the character arc that Mike's been on. I yes, I think they've all been on to yeah, to come back around. And again, it's got <clears> a real <throat>
0: sense of melodrama. This scene when when Ed wants to know um, about Nadine, he pulls her clothes, He's got a both Farms. It's like Nadine, how old are you? You know. And incidentally, I'm as <laughs> old as Nadine is. That's scary. I know. I <laughs> that I'm like no, 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 she's not thirty-four. <laughs> What's <laughs> worth? Uh, I'm not obsessed with uh, runners.
1: Uh, a Drake Runners. Drake Runners, not me. No sir. Exactly. I love the Drake runner stuff in season one. I mean, I it's right, it's so bizarre, quirk. So quirky. yeah. Fantastic. Okay.
0: So that's a relatively short scene, but again, um, Lynch sets up some kind of cliffhanger, which I'm sure we would revisit should season three come around. Or yeah. the old season three. Yes. Ready to move on? Definitely. Okay, next scene. Uh, some ton of sub-tosh subplot about um, Donna finding
1: out that Ben Horns actually her father. Yeah, again, but no one winds up happy in this scene. <laughs> <laughs>
0: again, it's, I think Donna started out as a promising character. She yeah. she was one of the one of the more clued into people people about Laura's secret world, but still grounded.
1: She was still kind of structured
0: mm. by high school.
1: Yes, and parents. I think they, they tried. They got quite interesting with the start of season two when they had to do the the deliveries. The, and she met the uh, it the Charlie guy. Smith, the yeah, the guy, who likes Hawkins, and uh, that that was an interesting character. He was an interesting character, and their interactions were quite good. But I think by by this point. That character became completely irrelevant.
0: There's a great cliffhanger to one of the earlier episodes when they're with Jeremiah Smith, uh, Maddie and Donna and he's clawing away at his face with that. have always been a fan of that. That's amazing, <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you, that's all you need for a cliffhanger.
1: That's, that sticks with you, I love that. I still remember was watching that episode at university and you just you've been a fan of ever since. Ever since man, no, right. I, don't, I don't change. <laughs> Whenever we talk about season two, it's like, yeah, when he claws his face. Yeah. <laughs> It's
0: it's it's the way it finishes. The credits roll and the, the credits, the credits yeah. come above the image and he's still standing there. It's amazing. Okay. Um, again, so this scene's a rather minor one. Basically, um, Donna's been doing her own delve in and she now knows that Ben Horn is probably her father. Ben Horn comes to the house to try and apologise. Dr. Hayward, his first name escapes me. It's Doc Hayward. It's right? Doc Hayward. That's good enough for me. Um, confronts Benjamin Horn. Uh, the scene results in Doc Hayward punching Benjamin Horn. Benjamin Horn falls over in true melodramatic fashion, cracks his head open on a coffee table, or is it a fireplace? Oh, it's the fireplace, yeah. It's a firebox, falls backwards, the camera goes into his face, we can see he's got a large gash in his forehead, blood's pouring. Both the other there's um, Doc Hayward's wife and Benjamin Horn's wife which goes to show how brilliant those characters are. I don't know, uh, do we need to, yeah. No, okay. I think everybody's crying at this point. <laughs> Pretty much. And better yeah, it uh, um, Hayward kind of looks to the sky and, and kind of gives out an almighty cry. Lemme, let lemme, lemme something yeah. on that scene. What can you tell me? The
1: only thing of that scene I've really found any note in is that in the original script, Ben Horton dies. Ooh. Yes. And it was, I think Lynch knows better. And um, just had him knocked out or, or whatever, because he knows what a brilliant character Ben Horn is. And notably, he put his glasses back on. <laughs> he hasn't worn his glasses for so many episodes. As soon as Lynch gets the scripts, like, you put them your glasses, glasses
0: on. on. I know you as the character. Yeah. Put your Civil War toys down. Exactly. Put your yeah. <laughs>
1: stupid, crappy storylines aside. Let's do this right. I was going to make a reference then,
0: but I did promise myself I won't make any comic book references to the episode, so I'll tell you later. Okay, let's talk All right, next scene, useless subplot, part three. Yes. Now, do you know what? I couldn't even bother to go back and check into the context of this. All I know is it's Catherine. I want to say you were Catherine's brother or husband, and it was Andrew.
1: Yeah, oh God, yeah, this scene yeah <laughs> yeah okay
0: we, we, we know he has something to do with um, the mills and Twin Peaks and he's re- I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he's Catherine's no he's Catherine's brother because Joe's is his wife isn't she yes yes Okay. all I'm thinking is people do really love when people are going to listening to us talking about this and screaming over the podcast yeah. you're doing it wrong you're <laughs> <doing things. laughs> okay. Okay. well listen it was a really really pointless subplot about um, the key to a
1: deposit box dude help me care about this subplot uh, yeah again originally when it exploded I think he, I don't think it was meant to be Pete. I think it was meant to be Catherine uh, who was there I can only think that Lynch thought no I want Pete there because I like shooting scenes with him <laughs> to swap that over we get their dodgy comedy glasses flying through the air we're not meant to know whose they are I think we can shoot that they're um, whatever the brother whatever but oh, we'll get to that in a second because yeah. that's a separate <coughs> scene but it's,
0: essentially it's just Andrew picking up a safe deposit box key that nobody else oh, miss. and then Pete rushes mm-hmm. in and catches him in the act. yeah no one cares move on move on okay yeah. at long last Cooper gets to the, the Black Lodge yes I love this scene. Yes. I love this. I, there is so much about it I love. I love the fact that Cooper says to uh, Truman, "Sheriff Truman, no I've got to do this on my own. Yes. Wait you here. And, he, and the good thing about it is he's never to justify that.
1: No. He, yeah. At this point, uh, Sheriff Truman knows to trust Coop.
0: Yeah. No, again, he, Cooper is a man who knows his own destiny, knows yes. his own path. Yes. And so off he goes into the trees. Um, again, looks down at the Little Blank Lodge. The red curtains rise up again, and off he goes. Yeah. Um, I've noted in my notes here. I, I, the visual of the again, the visual of the red the red curtains is genius. And it is. It is. It's just perfectly done. Again,
1: yeah, we've, we've mentioned before about how he was originally going to enter the Black Lodge, and I'm sure this is yeah. far cheaper. Oh God, yeah. And like Harry was meant to grab his ankle and hold on to him, and yeah,
0: no, no. Uh, Lynch knows the characters, as to say. He does. He gets into the uh, Black Lodge, and I think from here on in, most of the episode, if not, I'd say the majority of the episode here on in is actually set in the Black Lodge.
1: Yes, with the one, with the exception of the bank sequence and a few. And I think the di- a Diner scene, doesn't Yes, which isn't, again, not overly interesting.
0: But otherwise, we're pretty much in the Lodge. We are point. pretty much in the Black Lodge for the rest of the episode. There's, I, I looked into this, and I didn't make a note of it, and I now hate myself. But the, the bloke who sings the sycamore tree song is actually a famous kind of jazz singer. He is. He died in 2014. And he lived to a grand old age. Um, his movie credits are somewhat limited. But here's something that'll impress you. And very <laughs> very lynching as well. He actually grew seven inches when he was 36, due to a fact he had a uh, particular de- defect, his body had a defect. Which allowed him to grow the inches when he was 36. That's that's quite incredible. I thought that was quite cool. <laughs> I I again, that, that, yeah, anybody, that's very David Lynch. If, if anybody, can... anybody belongs in like the red room <laughs> it as
1: that? It's probably cast on because of that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wouldn't be surprised if Lynch of the head, did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, especially yeah. the blank yeah. <laughs> <struggling> weight <well. laughs> work. Uh, so I really like the sycamore tree song as well. Yeah. Uh, it actually appears on the soundtrack
1: for what the time it? time. It's very similar, mm-hmm. I found, to um, when they go to Silencio in Mulholland Which drive. is exactly my next point. Yeah. Lynch, Lynch does, does enjoy, enjoy a good singing song, does he? He does, he does. He loves jazz and he loves quirky. kind of not know clubs Just out of interest, oh,
0: why have you real? Yeah. What, what is your favourite um, Lynch song,
1: musical sequence? I like it in Silencio where they sing the Spanish version of Crying by Robeson. Which is very haunting, isn't it? Yes, and then she falls over and the songs still going. The
0: depleted de- audience about like all the three people in it. Yes, I think that's just magical. Works very well. Mm. I will give a um, props for um, Lost Highway with Marilyn Manson's music video, yeah. which is a sort of blinking or missing. Well, the whole soundtrack of
1: that film is phenomenal. Trent Reznor, love you man.
0: Okay, cool. All right. Anything else you feel we missed on that time round? Uh, no, I think we're good. There's a rather very there's a brief scene afterwards where we just see Truman the next morning still waiting on the log. we uh, sat sat on the log in the forest waiting for. Cooper's come back. Mm, he's been waiting for many hours. He has been waiting for many hours, but it's, it's the a lesser TV show would feel the need to explain what he's been doing in that time or for something else to happen. Yeah. And Twin
1: Peaks doesn't. No. Which is part of its genius, I feel. Well, again, I think there's more of an interaction between him and Andy in the original shooting scripts, and I think Lynch knows better.
0: Do you think the interaction between him, him and Andy um, harks back to sort of like the quirkiness of Twin Peaks? Lucy gets some donuts and they go into the meeting and bring yeah.
1: the donuts or something. See, I, I love those sequences, I really do. Anything involving the, um, the police working together or interacting with each other. I think pretty much every scene they do so throughout the entire show works really well. There's just a great chemistry <clears throat> between, all the, between the, uh, the actors.
0: There's a discussion between Andy and Truman about if Truman wants breakfast, and Andy lists <laughs> for him several things he could choose from, <laughs> all of which apparently Truman wants.
1: Yes. But
0: he, he's still very kind of solemn, he's, he's not yeah. moved from his, from his uh, place. No, it's, it's like, like
1: a, a watching dog staring and waiting for his master. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I like that. Nice one. <laughs> and since, since we're talking about um, coming full circle, do you know what I would have done? I'd have had Andy crying. I'd have just, I would have just cut to Truman sat on, and sat on the log with Andy sat next to him
1: crying. <laughs> that would have been really good. <laughs> I, know, I know it's
0: played as, a com- as somewhat of a comedy note, Andy crying, but I think there's something very powerful in that in the pilot.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think, has he developed as a character though? We but what do you, what do he developed to was
0: shit, the whole subject yes, with, the, with the baby and the kid from the foster home. Oh yeah, that was awful. But I mean more where
1: he, um, he saves the day with the gunshots at the end of season one. He does. Does he, well, not mean, went to does he not cry when they
0: discover the man's body? Because he's on the phone to Lucy, yes, he and he says to the Lucy, "Please tell him I didn't cry." He's in yeah. tears as he's <laughs> there. I like that. I think that I suppose, yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: yeah, it's yeah. It's a very good character So yeah, it would have been good to see that full circle.
0: Okay. Should we move on? Yeah. Okay. Next scene's the nonsense for the bank.
1: Yeah.
0: There's a number of things for this scene I really don't care for. <laughs> um, I feel I'm hugging the horse here. Do you want to start? I'll jump in. <coughs>
1: The thing I actually really enjoy about this scene is the old man. Lynch has a thing about old men walking slowly and lingering shots, watching them do so. Now, in an episode like this, where you've got so much going on, so much attention, so much to fit in, to have a sequence where he just walks slowly, <laughs> I think is genius. I think it's pure Lynch, love it or hate it. I think it's a it's a... Actually, one good thing throughout this entire sequence.
0: It pretty much mirrors for me the um, the white set from the beginning of the
1: second season. You know when Del exactly. Cooper's laying on the floor shot. Yeah, exactly, and he, he brings him back in this episode. He does. He loves an old man walking slowly. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. There's something he obviously finds inherently creepy or interesting or God knows what. Well. Yes, <laughs> or funny. Yes, about just uh, all these you know urgent sequences like Cooper being shot and just. Old man just taking the time, he obviously knows the audience is screaming (laughs) and screaming, You know, I
0: mean, yeah, he's a fan. What purpose Audrey comes in and Audrey says that she's here to make a political statement uh, regarding Twin Peaks being involved? Yeah, the the Wildlife Society, or something for saving some. Wood is it? Who cares? Elmwood, I don't know. Basically, she's there to make a statement and handcuffs herself to the vault gate, the vault door. Then, um, Andrew turns up, along with his much-cherished deposit box key. uh, The bank manager moves towards him very, very slowly. (laughs) They attempt something which is like catching up, which goes on forever. And eventually, um, Andrew insists that the man let him into the vault so he can open the deposit box. There's a very awkward comedy moment where they have to move the gate sideways. is still chained to it, which is actually on the screen as we're talking. Where, yes. uh, we've got the opening the back of the hour, and Andre's just about to handcuff herself to the gate. And it wasn't the original shooting script, so Lynch chose to keep it in. Really? Yeah. I suppose if he's got to come up with lots of cliffhangers, this is a good cliffhanger to play.
1: Well, again, I think he just wanted to buzz sounds a bit, spin her off into her own TV show, so this was a a good way to do so.
0: Let's just qualify the cliffhanger. Um, Andrew opens the deposit box. There's a note there for him, which says something along the lines of, aha, I've got you, Andrew, and a bomb goes off. Uh, I'm not making this shit up. A bomb goes off. Uh, You don't see anybody killed by it. You just see lots of smoke. Uh, You see the windows out of the bank outside get blown out. We see some money going into the air and we see a pair of glasses, Yeah, I think, they, I think belong to the bank manager, right?
1: God knows. Bank manager, uh, the brother, Pete Montel. God knows. Does do
0: it, we does care? We do? No, we don't care. Lynch has achieved his he, he, plot point here, he's set up a cliffhanger. Alright. The next scene, um, the diner scene. Yeah. Did you know this actually mirrors the scene in the pilot?
1: It does, yes
0: in dialogue. Most most of the dialogue is actually the expression between Bobby and Shelly. Shelley. Yeah. Is actually lifted.
1: Yeah. Well there's there's the one interesting secret I like in, in this is I forget Shelley's husband's name. Leo. Leo Which is an amazing cliffhanger, isn't it? No, I hate it. Really? <laughs> I hate the fact that he's just well—the whole sequence of
0: him being tortured by Windermere. And
1: just, just explain for those benefit of those who haven't watched it and probably won't watch it. No. What the scene is? Um, well, he's we, yeah. We have Bobby and Shelley. We have Bobby and Shelley. They're chatting and they reference uh, Leo being—he's you know, probably happy and free in the woods somewhere. And again, in the script, I think he comes to a gruesome end, or he's struggling against some trap that he's caught, and the windermills put him in. And he's struggling and he's straining, and I think he actually dies at the end of it. And uh, Lynch, obviously knowing better, just cuts to a very, very brief sequence, almost blinking a miss it of him just struggling. And it works so much better. good, good cliffhanger. And right? it's very rare. I mean, it's, it's almost like Twin Peaks tells a family guy joke. Yes, it's size. It's very much yeah, no, so, no. where he just cuts away in this brief moments, and he cuts back as if nothing's happened. So, uh, <clears throat> again, that's Lynch knowing infinitely more <laughs> than the script did. There's a, I put it in, here in my notes here,
0: is, is the episode trying to serve too many characters and too many subplots. Um, I think yeah the from, problem that it's a soap opera, and as such, it's supposed yes. to serve lots of characters and lots of parts.
1: Yes. Um, again, a lot of the scene doesn't work for me. I think it is let's just reintroduce characters who may have fallen out and you know not been in it that much or you know Lynch's favorite characters. Let's just bring them together, give them a brief scene, then at least they you know they've ticked that box. They've right? ticked that box, and that's exactly what it is. It's a tick the box scene.
0: Okay, I did. A- I'm going to argue with you to a certain degree here because I did like the part with Sarah Palmer when she's brought in for the attention of Major Briggs who's sitting in the corner in a booth. Yeah. It's all a bit out of character. Uh, Major Briggs is canoeing with his wife uh, in a booth and then Dr. Jacoby and bring ushers in Sarah Palmer and Jacoby says, I'm glad you're here, Major Briggs. Sarah has got a message for you. And Jacoby has a wonderful cape on as well and a hat. He looks a bit like Tom Baker as Dr. Who is
1: He does, very much so. But, Again, must be another Lynch favourite guy.
0: <laughs> um, and then, a very uncomfortable close-up of Sarah Palmer's face, Yeah. What, what was going on there. And then she says, in a very distorted and cool voice, I've been in the Black Lodge with Adrian Cooper. Who do you think, who do you, whose voice do you think that is? I should add that Briggs kind of nods, like you almost yeah. understand what, what she's on
1: about. God, I think we we could speculate and speculate. I mean, is it Annie? Is it Bob? Is it Coop? You know. Are we, is it the man from another place? Is it the giant? It could be anybody. It could it be anybody. anybody. Yeah. It's a nice little
0: plot thread. It. It's a nice little plot thread. Yeah. They're
1: to get third season. Brings ghosts to the Black Lodge to find who he's looking for. See, so, I always like the yeah, a lot of the things they set up with Major Briggs about the Black Lodge and the testing and the owls and the UFOs and. And I just never think that really came to fruition
0: properly. No, not at all. Again, you'd hope in season three they'd look more into the owls because he's not the only one obsessed with the owls, the Log Lady. Yeah. The owls, I know, things. So,
1: yeah. So you'd hope so. Wouldn't you'd you? hope so. But the good, the good part, nothing else, when
0: this scene ends, is we do
1: transition back to the Black Lodge. Yes. Where we stay for most of the rest of the episode. We do. Um, I think I timed
0: it from this point in, and we're good, like 10, 15, possibly 20 minutes in the
1: Black Lodge. Which for a fifty-minute TV show, is a considerable, a, chunk, is a is a considerable chunk. chunk, Yeah, I, can, I wonder how the advert broke the episode when it was aired. That's a good point. Yeah, would you have a, an advert break in the middle of the Red Lodge with Laura screaming? Yes, I would. No, I
0: would have an break at this point where the voice, um, Sarah Palmer's voice, goes to a voiceover and we get a panning shot of the floor of the Black Lodge. Yeah, and I would have cut to an advert there. But that's just me personally. That's I'm just our, me, yeah. I'm not a director. <laughs> okay. Um, at this point, the episode all becomes very surreal, I think, Mike. It
1: does. And it's still very, very shocking. It's, uh, I was watching the episode the other day, and uh, Ms Wood, is another member of our team for the podcast, Absolutely. she was listening to it in the other room, and she said, from here, it sounds like you're watching a horror film.
0: It's very unnerving, isn't it? It's very unnerving, it's very
1: unsettling. Um, I know they achieved a lot of that. They shot all of this in 24 hours, like straight through. So it's
0: delirium and sleep dep- deprivation?
1: Quite possibly. I, I know they were encouraged to bring in materials, bring in sets, you know, bring in items, props, that's the word I'm after, and see what works. So obviously it was a very experimental thing, a lot of it's done well and sound and it's uh, yeah it's uh, just it's a very
0: basic it's a very basic set as well and I think that's half the of the beauty of the simplicity of it
1: well yeah again if, if they'd set the whole thing in a massive hotel and he was going room to room I don't think it would have worked Well, it would have cost a hundred times more and it wouldn't have worked no there's something very very simple about the Black Lodge and very uh, it's much like the film The Cube that was yes. all set in one in one room where they can just manoeuvre things around, and all of a sudden you're in another room, and it works very well. And I think for this, I mean, we've debated. Stop me from going too far ahead. No, no. no, no, no we've no. debated whether this is the waiting room to the Black Lodge.
0: See, I personally, me, I yeah. have to believe that the Black Lodge itself is firstly black, and secondly, something more majestic.
1: Yes, I see. I've never seen it that way. Whether you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I've always seen this the first room he goes into is the waiting room and the rest is the Black Lodge. Every other room he goes into, but I mean, who's to say Which makes sense when
0: you refer to the movie, movie
1: cube. Yes.
0: Like you, like you were saying, the
1: idea of thin air waiting rooms. And that's what the <clears fat throat> waiting rooms? But again, right. it sounds like with the um, original script, there was an actual lodge, <clears throat> which is like a hotel, motel, <clears throat> was An actual lodge which was like a hotel motel, so you know, was it going to be the less metaphoric and more physical originally? Yeah, and this is just this is what we can conjure up, so this is what it is. It would be
0: interesting to know what they left on the car floor.
1: I don't think they shot a lot of the things, I think this was done very quickly. I could be wrong, yeah, stop me wrong, wrong. wrong. but um. When I was like, when they did actually find the lodge where I think Laura was actually tortured, I always thought that was going to be the Black Lodge, which would make sense. Which would make sense.
0: Which would make sense. <laughs> but like Lynch doesn't like to be straightforward, does he? Oh, <laughs> he doesn't. Um, so we spent some time in the Black Lodge. I'm not going to bore you with a with a punch by blow by blow account, but there is lots of backwards talking, uh, funny twitches in people's faces. Yeah. Um, random dialogue, which, none of which really syncs up or makes much sense. Wow, <laughs> <the> wow. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, Giants, dwarves, elderly waiters. Yeah. Um, how the elderly waiter comes back for a go. <laughs> there is a point where um, the giant turns up along with the elderly waiter.
1: Which, which does actually prove that they are from this place if you weren't already sure. Yes, it does. Throughout the show, it does actually give us... In an episode like this we do actually get some clarification on something.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're a coherent whole right? Yes, they exist the same time and space. Yes. The man from the other place, the dwarf, does actually say that I'm um, the same when there's the giant and the the giant the waiters disappeared and the giants there. Mm. And I can never quite decide whether the giant and the waiter are supposed to be the same people, or the dwarf and the giant are supposed to be the same
1: people. Okay. Interesting. I suppose they could intermix. Uh, intimate because I've never really Given that I've always thought they were separate, I've never thought about it any other way. Mm-hmm. But it interesting is. that the, I mean, they could always be the same, Yeah, you know, the same creature, the man from the other place. It has, like I said, it has this dreamlike quality. When Laura Palmer's
0: first introduced, you don't see, it, it's not like a snap reaction to her. It's Cooper yeah. just looks up and then it takes the time to come to his point of view when you see her there, but it's... There's nothing urgent or shocking about it. It's just very dreamy. She yes. sits down next to the man from the old place, and then we see her sitting there. But I think it's very shocking
1: seeing her because she's dead. Yeah, we haven't and seen her for a while. Yes, I mean we've had Maddie, but then to see Laura Palmer sat there, her, you know, the usual glamorous self. I think is a very striking actual image. I <laughs> think there are really well. striking images in the sequence. Yes.
0: Um, I love the instruction, Maddie. Speaking of Maddie, to speak of Maddie, Maddie yes. turns up a couple of minutes later. She does. But you see her shadow behind the <laughs> curtains of the lodge first as she walks into set. Yes. And that's one. That's a. That's nice reveal.
1: And again, you could probably write whole theses on, you know, why Laura's just there, why Maddie walks in. <laughs> you could really go into humongous detail about it, but uh, yeah, not not quite as shocking as as uh, Laura, but interesting that she is there having been killed by Bob ultimately as, as well.
0: Maddie does say um, in Backwards-Forwards talk, you know, they yes. backwards yeah, and yeah. forward again, she says, I'm Maddie. watch out for my cousin. Now it's interesting, you were saying about the redhead earlier. My, I want to know, do you, when she says, watch out for my cousin, are we talking Laura or are we talking the redhead who might turn up? Well, like, to make a free. I think
1: they're talking Laura, but again, is that Laura, is it the white-eyed doppelgangers that we see? Um, because she does, I think she references her cousin quite a few times. Um, so again, as, a, a, as a much in this episode, a lot of it is open to interpretation.
0: Absolutely. One thing I did wonder as well, talking about the redhead chick, um, the actress who plays Laura Palmer's name skates. Cheryl with her, Lee. Cheryl Lee. Do we think, um, Cheryl Lee will play the red
1: chick in the new series? Yes. If they go down that road, yeah. I 100% believe she will be in the show, she will be another member of that family. Uh, because you can't, you can't flash back, you can't have her grow old because she's dead and she's been dead, <laughs> so, you yeah, know 25 years. So, to bring her back, to bring the actress back, you need, unless, again, she's been aging in the Black Lodge, maybe, Possibly. which wouldn't give, I can't imagine would give her much of a role, so I firmly believe. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if Agent Cooper was actually together in a relationship with this new show?
0: And they had they had a daughter in the Black Lodge?
1: Could be interesting.
0: Because we, we do know that time doesn't work the way it does out here inside the Black Lodge. No, it doesn't. So I think the whole idea is that even though Cooper appears to Truman like 10 hours, 12 hours later, yeah. he's been in the Blank Lodge for quite some time. Yes. Or rather, Bob, Bob's spirit has been in him quite some time before he comes out.
1: Yes, and we do, when they originally go to... When he has his dream in the first season, he sees a much older version of himself.
0: He does, because he's got grey hair, hasn't he? Yes. It? So does it's that gray, mean... Great
1: examples. Does that mean that... Kyle, yeah, Agent Cooper is in the Black Lodge for 25 years and Bob is actually possessing the version of it from Doppelganger maybe that's in the real world. Yeah, that's pretty much how all of it. I've always yeah. understood it,
0: the real, the real Dal, I'm sure in, your, in that Lynch, on Lynch book, mm, he, yes. ex, he explains it this way, mm. he says somebody would find Laura Palmer's diary, or a certain page from mm. Laura Palmer's diary, yeah. which would say that Dal Cooper's still in the Black Lodge. And it, it would be like somebody discovering um, Harvey Oswald's diary by yeah. 1913, yeah. before he's assassinated. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think there's lots. I've always kept that in mind. It's always been my belief that
1: the real Dale Cooper is still in the Black Lodge, and the double gang is out here amongst us. So, what would that do to a person to be spent 25 years? I mean, I suppose we did actually see, so They did reference it. Quietly on in, in the that, that, city. That, that gun you like is coming back into the Yeah, it's going to come back and start. Yeah, it's definitely alright.
0: The mutilated statue in the corridor, what's up with that? Isn't that the Venus tomorrow? Is it really? I don't I know. Think so. Okay, that, that's yes, what's that one, <laughs> that one. <laughs> And then um, mm-hmm. Laura yeah, yeah. Palmer becomes, she gets the contact lenses and
1: becomes like a vampire. She does, um, or the doppelganger is the man from the other players' references. Um, there's a thing in this scene that sums up Lynch perfectly because it's horrifying in the fact that she, you know, she screams to the camera and...
0: Sounds like a kettleboy.
1: Yes, I mean, they, they, they've amped up her, her voice to different levels and I'll play a clip in a minute. Um, but I think most directors would have had her running to the camera and probably going straight through the camera almost and running straight at it and cutting it short. Lynch keeps it lingering, just that little bit too long to again keep you feeling very uncomfortable. I'm not sure this is going to work but we'll have just a bit of the audio.
0: She comes. <laughs> Several things about that. <laughs> Firstly, it's nice to see the flash of Bob. Um yes. lights like come out for a second, you'll get this like strobe lighting effect and Bob's face is up quite close to Down Cooper. Yeah. Secondly, that scene is reminiscent of the footage of Bob at the end of Laura's bed. Oh, what a sequence! Oh, and when he climbs over the couch as well—yeah, yeah—that same sort of approach isn't it? She yeah. climbs over the, cou- the couch the on this—yeah—and she
1: comes towards him. It. Yeah, it's a bit
0: faster, but I think the same menace and sense there. It right? works as
1: well. And uh, when she first climbed up the couch, she's actually shot backwards.
0: Okay, um, okay, and then it, again it gets a bit dreamy. Um, we see we see Cooper stacking around with a. Yeah, his, with his gunshot. Flashback to when he, something had to do with him and Windermere's wife. Yeah, supposedly
1: um, Windermere's wife was in the Winter Protection Programme, looked after by Cooper. They wound up having an affair, and um, yeah, they ultimately, I think they both got shot and she died. As, <laughs> is the brief backstory to it. But I mean, it does play parallel to obviously him getting shot at the end of season one. It does, yes. And yeah, but a lot of about that sequence.
0: And it's also very dreamlike. So yeah, it, it, it
1: fits perfectly with the lodge, doesn't it? It does, it does. And i am enjoyed it. It looks it very much like Lucy Lawless who plays his wife. I don't think it is, but. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. She <laughs> it's looks incredibly similar, yeah. I think i are about to show you because again, we'll watching the episode while we're recording this, but yeah. Yeah, but she
0: slips between his wife and her, um, Annie Blackburn, doesn't she? Yes. Incidentally, Heather Graham's not back for season three.
1: Yeah, very surprised. I thought um, we would do a career a boost, but again, maybe Libs thought the character's no longer of any interest, even though she does return from the other place. Maybe just they couldn't find a way of integrating script, maybe just having Coop come out and be the doppelganger is enough.
0: Possibly. I'd like to know what happened to Annie Blackburn between them, yeah. between now and Yeah. Um, Earl appears, and I've got to be honest. I think this is the best performance he gives throughout the whole series. He's mm. very sort of um, very crazy, very wild-eyed to start with. Yeah. Then um, Bob
1: still Bob appears and steals his soul, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's like he's
0: pulled the strings from
1: behind him or something. Exactly, and again, this is Lynch saying, "You're not the, <laughs> the, the bad guy in this piece." This. Is-
0: there was a very sort of like Michael Jackson black and white effect. You know the video for Black and White with the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, when Bob <laughs> steals his soul. <sighs> Anything you ever failed? Should I ever to mention on this bit?
1: No, I think it works very well again. It's um, yeah, I'm just show sure that this is, <laughs> is that it looks very similar. It's Lucy Lawless, I tell you. I <laughs> it's <That's> turned <laughs> into one. Um, No, I think it's an interesting sequence again. It's just a way of making sure Windermill does not return. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not only are
0: you are dead, you're dead in the Black Lodge, mm. there's all kinds of trouble. There's a great point here where um, Dale Cooper's evil doppelganger turns up as well, and him and Bob are sort of palling around, almost like slapstick comedy, yes. laughing at each other, <laughs> sort
1: of very unnerving, very unnerving about that too. Yeah. No, it works very well, it's, 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 it's almost a descent into madness. Which I think it's meant to be for, for Cooper. It's all your, your horrors and your fears all brought together in one terrifying <laughs> location that's <laughs> accurately portrayed through sound and lighting better than anything they wrote down in the original script. Absolutely, and we also see Leland Palmer again. We, can, you know, ask, can you actually remember
0: what he says? Uh, because um, it's not, Cooper, Cooper passes him yeah, in the background
1: or I think he only has one line. I think we'll, we'll play it. Something like It up. Wasn't
0: Me or something. He says yes, yes, it lines. was, yes.
1: Um, which I, I mean, I, I, I love the actor, Ray Wise, I mean, he's great character as well. Um, and again, it's another quite striking image to see him in the Black Lodge. Absolutely. But again, it's all the people that Bob's kind of taken over, killed, you know, being a part of, all reappear in the Coop's kind of <laughs> crazy dream. So it's
0: certainly great, it's like a Twin Peaks greatest hits,
1: isn't it? It is. I mean, the. Um, I think it's very much the case if you took the episodes of Twin Peaks that David Lynch directed, I think you'd have some of the best seven or eight episodes of TV ever created. Sure. Uh, and I think this is a perfect example of that.
0: Okay, uh, I wrote here as well that the strength of the scene really is this very simplistic set and parlour tricks. Yes. The strobe lights, the yes. flashing on and off, you yeah. know, um, the appearance of doppelgangers. Yes. It's all very straightforward. There's nothing that would cost a lot to do in relatively terms in relative yeah. terms.
1: And again, they, that, that probably is because they had to shoot it quickly. They probably didn't have a budget for big sets or times to create them. so that's when some, certainly someone like Lynch gets all the more creative, which again makes me believe, believe that he didn't just try and burn the whole show down. You know this was him this is pure perfect lunch it's
0: lit perfectly isn't it when you're watching it on the screen now and it is it's lit perfectly it's just incredible everybody has menace when they require it Mm. um just if you've
1: got photosensitive epilepsy (laughs) (laughs) something you have say for you you. (laughs) and and like you said earlier it hasn't dated no the simplicity of it doesn't particularly date no and again much with the episode where where maddie's killed the thing watching them back Take you again with that in this episode is they are still shocking. They still hold more weight than, like say for recently, I've been watching Outcast, and uh, a show that really desperately wants to be shocking at times and cannot even hold a torch <laughs> against a, a show that's been that's 25 years old. So here we go. His
0: sorry. His Ray His character. I just want to see what he says. I did not kill anybody.
1: Said perfectly. Yeah, sorry. <laughs>
0: I didn't realise he was going to play that. Yeah. I did not kill anybody, he says. Again, he's got the contact lens in. Brilliant. It's okay, okay. Yeah. and that is a stretching the Black Lodge, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the next scene, we see Cooper and a bloody act, Annie, Annie Blackburn return to the woods. Yeah. All I would say at this point is, in file with me, I believe you do see Annie Blackburn being rushed to hospital which suggests, yeah. she's like, and they, even tell, <laughs> they even tell Cooper in the next scene, don't they, that she's okay, she's going to be okay. Yeah. So we can, we can uh, be assured that. Safe so sure. year. maybe she won't we'll want to continue a relationship with Cooper after. No, know, screw this for a cup of coffee. You know? Yes. Uh, and then this is, the, this is pretty much the final scene. We're in the hotel room. I'm not going to go into the details. there's not much detail to this other than the final shot, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, we get to well, we're just actually watching um, Cook trying to escape the Black Lodge itself with his doppelganger chasing him. Sure. Which, uh, again, we're see him getting Bob and we're getting the strobe lighting again. So, uh, and and then, desperation,
0: then, his footfall yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's a guy desperate
1: to escape this Black Lodge. Bless him. And like I, say, I mean, he's gonna be, he's going to be there in 25 years, what's going to be the state of him then? Screaming and footfall aside, there's not much sound in the Black Lodge. Which I think, again, works to. Works again, way. Yeah, it you? does work very much in its credits. And as a side, I think the floor of the Black Lodge, that wonderful design, is actually the floor of the, um, the house of, uh, from Razorhead. That's where it's taken from. Uh, I didn't know that.
0: Well, there we go. The, the final scene, not to beat around the bush, is uh, Dal Cooper waking up in his hotel room. His friends have taken him back there to recuperate. He looks a bit confused. Uh, he, but he, he makes a point at telling them, I wasn't asleep. Yes. Which I always thought was an interesting turn of phrase. I mean, we can believe that
1: Cooper is under the influence of Bob here from the start. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he is acting normal first, but then he can't. He starts acting straight. slow, too. isn't he? Yes.
0: He goes into the uh, bathroom and he takes a tube of very vivid green toothpaste <laughs> and squirts it into, into the sink and starts to play with it like a child would. And then he clashes his reflection in the mirror um, and then, out of nowhere, he headbutts the mirror. Am I doing that justice or have I missed out the details there? No, 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 that's, uh,
1: that's definitely
0: what happens. He looks up at the mirror, eh? there's blood dripping down his forehead, uh, he sees Bob's reflection in the mirror, mm. which causes him to grin like a manic idiot and start headbutting the mirror again several times. He smiles, he cackles to himself, and he asks several times, how's Annie? how's Annie like you can't believe that the person who's in habit is so stupid <laughs> yes exactly have I missed nothing then no no and interesting none of that's in the script is that all Lynch yeah to me I, I say, I've I, said this several times maybe even on this podcast but I'll say it again that's the quite essential end to a TV series I don't need any more Twin Peaks after that <laughs> if that was the last thing I'd ever <laughs> see of <laughs> <at> Twin <laughs> Peaks <laughs> I'm not saying it's the right-ended, I'm saying it is a ending. Yeah. It just happens that bad guys won.
1: Yes, again, very much. <laughs>
0: very lunch the <large and laughs> bad guys won. One thing I did notice, anything else you might add? Uh, uh, no, I'll on
1: a minutes, okay. I don't much be a minute.
0: it's okay. One thing I would say um, in the post-credits, it finishes with a shot of a coffee cup. Mm. Now, I've never noticed this before, but while watching it over the weekend, do you actually see Laura Palmer's But of Laura Palmer? Or, yeah, not Laura Barker, it's Laura Barker. Oh, big shout out to Laura shout Barker. Shout out to Barker. Hoi hoi. Um, you see her reflection in the coffee cup. Mm. And she's smiling. I've never seen that before, that's No. Cool. I, we, we, we would, I don't know if you've you got the end credits on this?
1: Uh, more than likely. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think you're more of a fan of this ending than I am. I think you've always, always been more of a fan. I mean, it, it is an, it's certainly an intriguing ending, and it's one that's um is going to be has yeah, been talked about for years and but I an ending like this makes me want more more and more and more I I, I was desperate to find out more about what happened about Cooper being possessed by Bob this is it's almost too much oh, it does as well it's almost too much of an open ending for me um, but in that if if there was a season three I think it's a brilliant cliffhanger I really do
0: if I had to rate. Um ends of TV shows for cliffhangers' purposes. There is only one cliffhanger I know that remotely touches this. And that's for the Star Trek next Generation episode, Best of both Worlds. Not to go into too much detail, but essentially at the end of best of both worlds, uh, the Enterprise are on the uh, the enterprise crew are on the bridge, they have a visual of the bog ship in front of them. They, their visual goes into the bog ship and a bog speaking to them at the back of the camera. The Borg tells them essentially um, they will be assimilated and they will surrender and join the Borg. The Borg turns around and it's Captain Picard. Long before we (laughs) had the internet, long before we watched TV shows at the speed of America, or we knew as much as we do now on television. (laughs) As as a child of about, I must have been about 14 at the time, that summer could not pass quick enough to see the next episodes to find (laughs) out what happened to Picard. uh, At least you got
1: your natural conclusion. Well,
0: yeah, this is true, but it, it sticks with you. Mm. The idea that like, Picard's now part of the Borg, he's like cute as a Borg, and they're gonna be assimilated. Basically, you're all fucked. <laughs> and, uh, it was like that for several months on end. So yeah, um, just to repeat myself, I love this ending. I'm happy, I'm not supposed happy he won the day, mm. but if that's how Fugger Peak's finished forevermore.
1: I, it works for right Empire Strikes right? Back. That's a
0: fantastic statement. Yeah. I apologise,
1: I've pumped the horse again. No. <laughs> um, no, not at all. I think this um, is a very fitting end to the show. Like I say I think it would have been better if it carried on. Why did it end? Why did it end? Um, but no, I think this, the end of the um, show works very well. And again, if, why couldn't Firewalk and me have continued it? But, but uh, yeah, just to... Uh, to end the episode on a on a, on a note of sorts. Now I have to believe that, however, the next season, which we'll get to was going to start the next time. They must know that Cooper is possessed by Bob. They're going to find out eventually. They, they've got to find out. Because, I mean, how does he walk out of the bathroom with <laughs> blood, blood running down his face, yeah. screaming, and... Yeah.
0: So, just, just to wrap up in, term, in some terms, is this a good season finale?
1: Um, yes and no, to be annoying. Uh, yes... If it continued, personally, if it continued season three, it's phenomenal. Um, but as someone who was desperate to watch the show, who in, the, you know, in pre-internet age struggled and strived to get any episode he could, sit and watch it, this feels like an unsatisfying ending for me. And I've always felt that. Okay. As cool as it is, I, I needed more.
0: Do you have a particular highlight of the entire episode?
1: Uh, I like the screaming and I like the strobes. <laughs> <laughs> just have another evening of the woods yeah, house. I, I love any Lynch nightmare and I think just the scenes of Laura Palmer glammed up screaming at the camera on, on a, a terrestrial you know, on a. a American TV show was twenty five years ahead of its time almost. Um, I think how how did this episode ever get aired? How? How did it happen? <laughs> you know, I, I just I love that even now when you play this episode on, on say on like PC two or something and people would come cut there'd be uproar. Oh, what's going you on? Yeah, I don't know what's going oh, on. Incredible.
0: Incredible. I think it's fair to say we're both real excited for um, whatever comes of Twin Peaks. Um, next yeah. year. Yeah, hell yeah. I can't see them being, uh, I can't see it, it it's, not feasibly put, it's not feasible to be a uh, follow, complete follow-on, but I'd be interested to see what point points they do pick up. Um, um. It's okay, just talking to that one. Okay. D, one of the microphones has gone out, We're doing another best <laughs> to carry on. Okay, um, just just to sum up a little, um, well I think we've, well, we've both We've had a, obviously we've had a lot to say about this episode. Yes, so it's got to have stood the test of the time to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> to um, finish with a few end credits, we're thankful as ever for the musical contribution of one complimentary copies. His extra efforts for the theme to this particular episode are quite frankly top notch. You can follow him on SoundCloud. He does like to be followed. <laughs> if you're new to this show, we thank you for taking the chance. If you like what you heard here. Over a dozen episodes of our podcast await You on Our SoundCloud page. Uh, we can go up and be followed on Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash strangers to multiplex, and on the Twitter, which is at StrangersTTM. Better still, tell our friend, prove you care and share. My thanks to the fussy bitch. Uh, this particular episode has been a long-standing dream of mine, and now it's all said and done. Only one thing remains, and that's to go and dance with some dwarves. <laughs> We'll we'll see you all again in 25 years. Until next time, don't be a stranger.
1: How's Annie? How's Annie?